So who who are we? Um, I'm on staff here. I've been on staff, pastoral staff for 12 years. 12 years. That's crazy. Uh, 12 years I've been on pastoral staff. I was one of the youth pastors. I started in started pastoral staff in fourth and fifth grade. Kids ministry was pretty yeah. awesome. Well, you were an intern for a long time in worship. Yep, I interned for a couple years. Worked as an assistant in the high school. And then he was in the print shop when we got married to get more hours so we could buy groceries. Afford things. <laughs> there you go. But what we wanted to do tonight um, is our, our, our goal is that when you walked out of here, you would walk out with this sense of there's hope. Yeah. Well, there's, there's hope. Because, and we'll get into it a little bit, but we both come, we both came from broken, uh, broken sexuality from when we were young, and that carried on into um, a little bit older, yeah. and then we met, but what God did in our story, we believe God can do in your story yeah. as well. And we just want to kind of share just a little bit about kind of, uh, we're going to even go through like a little bit of how we met and some stuff like that. Uh, but does that sound good, good for you guys? And then, and then at the end, we'll just pull a few things out for you. And I think if we have time, there might be an opportunity for some questions yeah. of our story or of us. Yeah. Um, so if you're going through tonight and you have a question, like write it down. We'll hopefully we can. Yeah. Like if you want to like rewind and then zoom in, just let us know. Um, so do you, Sydney or Josephine, do you have a picture of us in the black ninja suits? In the ground floor. All right, so there's proof that we were young. That's right back there. 25. I was 25 in that picture, and he was 24. And we had met maybe three months before that, and we started. You look exactly the same. Oh, you're so sweet. I had short hair then. You yeah. won't let me cut like it anymore. Um, we met. That was right here. We were having like a ninja. Cre- we just love you. We love generation ministry. ninja night. Yeah, we, were, we played a lot. And then, so that's us. So that's us. I can't remember if that was before... We got really deep in our, you know. We probably would have been dating at that time because we're definitely, we're dating. definitely hugging, but okay. that's about it. So. so what we're going to talk about is you guys, like, because Pastor Jake and Emily and Nick and the whole team are so amazing, they want to go through this real talk, right? They want to talk about sex. They want to talk about sexuality. You're going to laugh. I brought props for tomorrow because I'm a visual person. So I'm going to like make it really awkward and awesome yeah. at church tomorrow. So come tomorrow night. If you can't come all weekend, come like tomorrow night. You know, if you can't come tomorrow night, come Saturday. Just come. come. Show up. Okay. It's free. We're going to be talking about sex, baby. So it's going to be good. Come on. Yes. You and me. So um, what we're going to talk about is, like Tim said, We've, you guys have been covering this for a year now. I mean, I think Jake's probably been going deep. I, I know he touches this stuff a lot. So some of you are like, I got set free from a lot, you know, through these intimate talks, through going there, through breaking the mold. Um, some work's already been done. Um, but some of you, it's like, I just started coming to access or I just started, you know, really addressing this. So we want to hit everything. So we're going to talk towards, like, I came from brokenness starting at four years old. Do you have the picture, Sydney, of me and the little wagon on the farm? So my sexual identity got broken when I was a little girl and I was four years old, living on a farm by a relative, not my parents, not my siblings, but an extended relative. And, um, yeah, that started my journey of feeling like I didn't have a voice 
which is what the <clears throat> enemy tries to take away from me often, which is so clever, right, when it's this weekend. Um, but I didn't feel like I had a voice. I would get sexually touched by cousins, um, I, you know, just open doors. It continued on through my teenage years. We would we moved to the city when I was five, so it slowed down. But every Thanksgiving or Christmas, it would happen again with that same cousin. And so it would always be, you know, timing where it'd be like on the couch, you know, and he'd say he would he was older than me. He would be like, sit on the couch, Rachel, and I'm starting out at what, age five? And he would put his foot like in my in my private area and start rubbing it. And so just that kind of stuff where you just, okay, well, you're family. So this should, is this how we do family? I didn't have brothers. I didn't know if relationships were different because of that. But when all that happened at age five, my amazing father, and I'm just going to say, my parents are amazing. My dad raised me beautifully. My dad loves the Lord. I honor him in this. Um, he is my hero, second to my husband. And so, but my dad didn't take the family farm over. My dad followed a call of the Lord to bring us to, to the city, right? And so that severed the relationship with my dad and my grandfather. And so I witnessed that if you tell the truth of what's happening in you, you get disowned. You get cut off. And then my first dating relationship in second grade with his name was Brad. I won't say his last name because he could listen to this. But um, who knows, you know? Praise God. Um, but his name was Brad. And we were in Kentwood. I was at Kentwood Schools. And he, my sister, we were on a play date, right? Innocent play date in second grade. And my sister said, well, do you love God? And he said, no. And she goes, well, then you can't date my sister. And then I learned that God drives away men in my life. So my dad following after God and being truthful about that drives family away. And God being mentioned in my life drives men away. So my dad was absent healing. He was absent from my spiritual walk. Not at home, but just never at church. Never present when the sexual stuff was happening back at the farm, right? Because he was disowned. So... He had a lot going on. He's amazing. That's all restored between them. But that was my intro to having no voice. That's like the summary of how it all began. So my introduction was uh, my brothers are both older than me. One of them's nine years. One of them's two years older. Uh, than I am. And I remember a couple things. First of all, I remember when a computer with internet entered into our house and we could, like, I could search things. Um, and, and for me growing up, um, I'll try to dive more into this this weekend. So try to come in. But for me growing up, um, I remember this constant burning desire to be noticed by somebody, especially a girl. I remember when I was in kindergarten and I felt like no one noticed me and then like through first grade, second grade, third grade and then going into about fourth and fifth grade is when I started to understand that you could go and search out and find things um, to fulfill a desire because ultimately um, something I was thinking about just as we were in worship is most of the time sin isn't the issue. Sin is a bad solution, mm -hmm. right? Sin is a bad solution to an issue. So if you think about like alcoholism, 
want to use that as an example to kind of be different than what we're talking about. If you think about alcoholism, a lot of people tend towards alcoholism because it's, it's, uh, it's covering up or medicating something from the past. So the alcoholism and the addiction to alcohol is a bad thing, but it's not the, the problem. The problem is something in the past. For me, my problem was insecurity. I didn't feel like I was worth it. Um, I was alone, lonely. And then all of a sudden, I get introduced to this idea of pornography, and I find out that I can go fill a desire. I can feel good for a moment. Have you guys noticed that sin makes you feel good just for a moment? But then what happens is after that, um, as Emily shared a couple weeks ago, like this shame and guilt, and that's where you have the inward turning uh, of, uh, you know, happening. And then, and then the process that the Lord brings us through is opening up. But anyways, for me, it was introduced um, through images and being able to find things online uh, because that, that was a, a source. But also an employee of my dad's um, automotive shop had magazines in uh, in his um, toolbox. And I just found myself, and it was never like, man, I'm going to go out and like search and deliberately go and try to find it. But I think, I think one thing I've realized through my life is that the enemy is strategic in how he attacks. He doesn't attack you in a moment when his attack isn't going to make it, but he knows those moments when we're when I'm weak, and he knows those moments when I when I'm feeling lack, yeah. and then he'll come and try to attack. Yeah. So for 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 Rachel, it was through you know this uh, situation with a relative. For me, it was through just this major desire to want to be known and want to be seen. Um, I'll give you an example of how I felt. And it was, this is from high school, but this is an example of how I felt and sums it up. I remember uh, this girl, she came up and talked to me, and uh, it, was, it was 11th grade. She came up to talk to me, and she's like, are you new in school? Are you new to school here? And I looked at her, and I won't say her name. Uh, I looked at her, and I said, we've been in the same class for seven years. And she had no idea who I was. And that sums up. Like, that's how I felt. Imagine how that, that's how I felt. So then for me, going towards like pornography and stuff was me finding a way to feel, I don't want to say awesome, but feeling what awesome would feel like for a moment. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us could probably relate to stuff like that in our life where we feel beat down, we feel discouraged. But man, if I I venture into this for a moment, I can feel... I can feel the release. Yeah, so kind of a cool thing is we actually were in school together from sixth grade until our senior. I mean, we were in the same school and had no clue. Like, I was a mess over in this corner. He was a mess a mess over in that corner, but the goodness <laughs> of God. So I'm going to, when do we need to be done? I don't see a clock, a time, a countdown, and I can keep going all night long, but that's just go, right? Okay, so I want to make it real. I want to set up how this all happened, right? Because I did come from very severe brokenness, and I mean very severe, but I'm going to show all of that tomorrow. Not show it, but tell it. Oh. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Um, so to add into that, there wasn't an awareness of, like, the caution with movies. So movies were a huge deal in my home. Like, I got into a crowd. I'm such a people person, if you've ever met me. I love people, and I love to have friends, and I love collecting people and having a community. I just love people so much. And I, so I didn't have an issue having friends in school. 
and I was really good at sports, so I had lots of friends. And so anyways, I got into Friday Night Movie Night, and it was very promiscuous movies. Like, I mean, it was either like Freddy Krueger, you know, on a Friday night, so it was demonic. It was like entering in, right, fear entering in. So much horror movies. Like, I saw everything, Chainsaw Massacre, everything you can imagine, I have seen, okay? And then everything sexual, I have seen. And unfortunately, again, just an oops, you know, in the home growing up, you just turned your head when there was a scene. You know, mom and dad would fast forward it, and you might have catched a couple seconds. You might be going like this. You know, like, to be honest. Or you could just watch it when they were at work, and I was home all summer long because it piques your interest, okay? I'm going to let you know. It's for women, too. It definitely piques your interest. And so I learned about sex through movies. So I remember the first time my mom mentioned sex was when I was 21, and I had had sex since I was 15, so I was like, you have missed it, Ma. Like, you missed it. Like, you're talking to me about it now? Like, I've never heard, I had never heard God's way of sex until 21 years old. Amazing, right? Yeah, so that's why we're here. Okay, so movies really taught me how to use my, like, it awakened my body and it taught me what I thought sex should look like, which is, that's part of a dating relationship. So moving on, it quickly went into, I innocently, innocently invited like the head basketball player who was at my high school. He was a senior. I slow, like he started coming after me. Like it started with letters. It started with like stopping me in the hallway because I danced for the varsity basketball team. And so he would just corner me. It, not, old, it was not physical. How old were you at this point? I was 15, and he was 18. So he would corner me. You know, we'd be riding the bus together to the away games. He'd make sure he was right next to me. And I, would, I was pretty innocent in it. And, like, I invited him to, like, my birthday party. <laughs> you know, like at Chuck E. Cheese. I think it was even, like, something <laughs> like that, you know. Just to show you the, like, innocence of what I thought was going on. And I invited him over after about a month of talking on the phone when cords had to go under your bedroom door, because I'm old. Um, But I invited him over on a summer day when my parents weren't home, and he forcibly um, had sex with me. And so it was not consensual. It wasn't given permission. It was harsh. It was cold. And it was done. And he never talked to me again. And so if you can imagine... (laughs) Like, I'm giving you a summary. I, like, am fast-forwarding fast what that did. Like, I had to face him for that entire year. Like, it ripped me to shreds. I didn't have a voice. I couldn't tell anybody because if you did, you're disowned from the family. And I was a pastor's daughter. You know, my dad wasn't on staff, but he was a pastor. He's an amazing man. He's such an amazing man. So I couldn't tell them that that had happened you know, in their home. So what that led to was, okay, well, I guess that's all that I'm good for is to be touched. And when you do awaken that, your body does crave that. Like if it was taken from you innocently or whatever, your body does start to crave it afterwards. You know, like that Pandora's box was opened. So then another relationship happens, right? That next relationship introduced alcohol to me. So my sophomore year, I dated him until I was 20. And his parents served us alcohol. Every weekend, I 
was roast, like I was toast. And I loved it because I didn't know about the Holy Spirit living in me to comfort me. So alcohol became that comfort. Alcohol became the Holy Spirit. It was when I could feel okay. And so that, I mean, my everything seemed great, right? And it's amazing how I even got class optimus. I thought I was happy, but then suicidal stuff entered in. I mean, it was a big deal. So just to give you an idea, it got much worse. <laughs> it didn't get better. So I break up with him. I start getting addicted to my body. Addicted to, like, okay, like, who can I get? It was bad. And so I got into competing in bikinis on stages and winning state nationwide competitions. It was horrible, like weightlifting, you know, and figure shows. I wanted to have surgery on my nose. I was going to have, like, a nose job to get it. It was sick. Like, it's amazing. The enemy is like, you are so worthless that you need to change. Look at I was going to have them remove all of my teeth. Look at my teeth. I was going to have them remove all of my teeth and put veneers in, right? Like, if you study the stuff out, like, when the world wants you to look a certain way, it can be kind of crazy. So, I mean, it got to the point where there were restraining orders put in place with guys. I had men asking, asking me to marry them. I was a dumpster fire. So how it kind of, you know, hit rock bottom, I thought I had met the man of my dreams. Did he love God? No. And you know what's so hard is I always knew that I loved God through every piece of that. That wasn't a question. I was going to church the whole time, not youth group. Never felt safe walking into youth group. But walking in and listening to Pastor Dwayne, yeah, I loved God. But I had no clue how to live for him. I had no idea how to get free. And so honestly, it came to like, I had gotten to the peak of like, I have done it all. I have won the state competitions. I am riding yachts to Chicago with some of the richest people in the state of Michigan and partying it up in Saugatuck on the streets, like anything you can imagine I did. And like he dumped me. He, he did. He was moving out of state. He was moving across the country. And he, he ended it. And I thought, well, alcohol didn't do it. Sex didn't keep him. Everything that I did to look right and to be right, it didn't keep anything. Nothing stayed in my life. And it literally came to a rock bottom where I just cried out to God and I said, something has to change. And I came home for an Easter service and Pastor Andrew Blaukamp was carrying the cross on a Saturday night down the aisle. And it said, and you know, of course they say, you know, because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despised, and set down its shame. He disregarded it. He could care less that the cross was shame, meant shame, because he knew what he was facing was going to bring him to the side of his father. And that finally got me, because everything else that I thought would fix it, it didn't. And so I got real with Jesus, and I just, I remember there were months where I would drive back out of, out of town, back to nursing school. I would be on my hands and knees just saying, like, I am so broken. Like, who would ever take me? Like, who would take me? I've done it all. Who would accept me? And I mean, like, the carpet would be, like, soaking wet. 
And Jesus would just keep wooing me and wooing me. And I got involved in a college ministry. And I would say like six months into that, I mean, I would talk to Jesus one hour to school every day, one hour back from school. I was at church three to four times a week, driving one hour back to school, one hour back to church. I wanted everything about Jesus and about the community that represented Jesus because I got into a college group that just was so transparent, so loving, so real. And I was the crazy woman who I wanted to go rescue all the women on the streets. So I would drive to Chicago and I would go love on those prostitutes. And I would show up at 1 a.m. and I would say, do you know how beautiful you are? Do you know how much God loves you? Because no one else will show up and talk to a prostitute at 1 a.m. Except for Rachel, who was under that same attack. I didn't have a pimp, but I had Satan and his hands around my neck. And I get every single woman who's ever felt that way. And so that's where I would even just open up that I'm probably a very safe place for you to come <laughs> if you want to set, get reclaimed and set free from sexual brokenness. But then... So I got reclaimed, right? Y'all, I got reclaimed. Like, I wouldn't date anybody for, it was about three years. I was moving to Nepal. I had been in Bangkok, Thailand, working in sex trafficking, not as being sex trafficked, but rescuing women, loving on them, showing them who Jesus was. And I was moving to Nepal. When I came back to train to move to Nepal, I met this guy. Yeah. So, Hi. um... <laughs> My my story took the turn when I was uh, I started dating a girl that was just down the street from me. Uh, growing up, she lived just down the street, uh, and it was it was it was essentially an innocent relationship. But I could tell it was just about to get to the point where it was going to get you know ugly. It was going to lead towards like a sexual relationship. And uh, just before that, uh, she dumped me. Same kind of thing. Uh, just before I was 16, this is probably three weeks before I was 16, she started dating a guy, uh, and how, what I saw was he had a Camaro. So I was like, she dumped me for a guy with a Camaro. And at that moment, like, my whole world fell apart. Like, because remember, this is the guy that felt completely worthless Finally, for the first time, I started dating somebody, and then she dumps me. And at that moment, um, I wish I could go into more detail, but at that moment, some things that have happened in my life and some conversations I'd had with someone, uh, actually, some of you might know Patrick Konechny, um, some conversations I'd had with Patrick, he went here to church, he's an awesome Christian uh, man of God, and uh, some conversations I'd had with him kind of came into my mind, into my heart, and I, I, how I'll word it now is I, I asked myself, how can you choose not to live for God if you don't know him, you know? So I remember Patrick had asked me to church, like, I think I did the math. It was like 700 times probably, because it, like we met when we were, I was five and he was four and he went to church three times a week, you know, and he would ask me pretty much every time. It was ridiculous how many times he had probably asked me to church. Um, and I remember I called him. I should have gone and talked to him in person so I could take a picture of his face. But I remember calling him and be like, hey, Patrick, can I, can I come to church with you? 
And at that moment, I found something amazing. Yes, I found, I found Jesus because I came in this room, actually about right over there where you guys are sitting right in the back row right there, about right there. Uh, I found Jesus, but more than Jesus, I found a group of friends that loved Jesus. Oh my goodness, community is everything. And, and through that time, I began to find out that it wasn't really, it wasn't really a, a dating relationship that I was looking for. I was just looking for people to value me for who I was. And over the next several years, I began to, to find out who I am. And that's, that's probably more important than anything is I found out who I am in Jesus and then, um, and then that's when I, you know, I went, I ended up going to Michigan State for a couple years, and um, I was good in high school. I didn't deal with much with pornography and stuff in high school, but my first semester in college was probably one of the darkest moments of my life, especially the darkest moments since I was a Christian, because I lost my community, and 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 I flashed back, and all of a sudden I was seven years old, wishing that someone would just notice me. And, and in that moment, that's when the devil came and he tried to attack, tried to bring pornography back into my life, tried to bring bad relationships back into my life. Thank the Lord um, I didn't end up dating anyone because I know that would have been a, just a really bad situation for me. But I remember came, coming back here Christmas. This is 2000, 2003. December 2003, I remember coming back here and coming to the, the young adults, the access age. It was still access back then. I remember coming here and all of a sudden Patrick was here because he was touring around the nation doing music. And another guy was with him that, that like the three of us hung out a lot. His name was Matt. I remember Patrick and Matt were here and I got connected into all my friends again. Mm-hmm. And I remember this amazing feeling of like, Wow, I've been missing this. And I remember driving back, driving back to Michigan State and saying, Lord, I need friends like that. I need friends like that. And uh, I ended up going back to Michigan State. The Lord did some amazing things. I get connected into an awesome community there. And then I transitioned from Michigan State to Grand Valley uh, in 2000 and. I'm trying to do the math, 2006, and that's when I came on staff here, um, crazy enough. And then I'll jump a uh, couple years. A couple years later, I'm hanging out in the 180, um, helping lead worship, and in walks this stellar babe. <laughs> in the back, I'm like... And, uh, and Rachel and I met. I remember I talked to uh, her dad for 45 minutes because they came in to serve together. <laughs> I talked to him for 45, which is not a hard thing if you know him. <laughs> Everyone's like, that's like a 10-minute conversation. Uh, not a hard thing. But I talked with him for 45 minutes until she would come around. And the beautiful thing that, that we want to kind of dive into right now is um, we met in April, April 26th. I was going to say 27, but I know it's 26. April 26th, we met. So that's the day that I talked for 45 minutes. <laughs> that day. And we found out we went to school together. We, to sc- yep. we lived a half a mile from each other almost our yep. entire yep. childhood. And we worked side by side on division. I worked at a driving range because I love golf. So driving range. And then he worked at his dad's automotive shop yep. on division. 
Like, come on. We had to have gotten Slurpees at the same four-star gas station. It's all right the time. between it. I know that's it's shut not down. A, it's no. not a driver range anymore. So it's apartments or something. But anyways, <laughs> um, so we started date. Uh, sorry, we we met in April. We started dating July 10th. This is quick. So if you want to wait wanna, a minute, this guy, I didn't even know he was interested in me. He was so like respectful about it. We played volleyball. Like there was like access volleyball on Monday nights. So, like, they invited me to that. I love volleyball, play volleyball all the way through school. He was crazy good at volleyball, though. Like, I would hide from his, like, his, yeah, anyways. So, but, oh, he was just so, oh, his, like, delts were, like, ripped. And, like, I remember, like, he would always walk out when I would walk out, not in a creepy way, but because he was very respectful. But I honestly didn't know he was even interested in me. Until two months later when he was asking me, like, if yeah, I July, would. in July, July yeah. 10th is when we started dating. Yeah, you hit it really and then, well. What was he that? good. He I hit, hit like, he was so respectful about it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Conveniently, she got invited by friends so to everything that <laughs> like, I was doing. I was like, he, okay, you have no idea. Like, the caliber of, like, what I had come from. And I'm like, he loves Jesus. He is willingly around kids so like for me like I was coming to serve at kids camp as a nurse serve in the youth ministry while I was in process of moving to Nepal to be a long-term missionary so I love children and that's so he's like willingly not only at church but serving kids and like paying to serve kids because he is a pastoral intern so like it was insane so I had learned to do things a bit different okay I didn't like, hey, I think Tim's really good looking. Do you think we can try to like get together with, I don't know, I'm um, do you think like we could try to like work things out so we could hang out more? Like it naturally happened. Like we were at access every single week together. We were serving four service. I wound up serving every service that the youth was open except for one Sunday morning to go to church. Every service that the youth was open, I was serving, he was serving in the high school, I was serving in the junior high. He came up, wrote love letters. He delivered love letters to me at kids' camp while I was serving. <laughs> Every night he we were would dating drive. dating at that time. We were dating. Amy Steiner, she would put him under my pillow because she was like the camp administrator. And my girls, some of, I don't know. No, they're, they're all like 25, the ones that saw that happen. But anyways, they, you know, they saw it all unfold. And so he, we were crazy. It was amazing how much in love. That, yeah, God is good. But anyhow, July 10, July 10, he asked me if we could court and then that's like Christian verbiage for dating. Like, you know, we're going to stay in a court. We're not going to go off the court. We're going to stay like it's dating with in the game in here, dating intentionally. So to tell you to tell you what it was like from my perspective is I took her dad on July 10th to lunch and said, hey, I'm interested in. Your daughter, I'd like to core her with the intention of getting married. That's what I said to him. Because I already knew, I knew that I wanted to marry her. So at that moment, I said, I want to court with the intention of getting married. You're all about to go crazy right here. Two weeks later, same restaurant, I sat her dad down and said, I'm ready to propose. Can I have permission? I still had my touch. Thank you. <laughs> but this was good. This I, didn't, I didn't propose to her 
right then, I just wanted to like find the ring. I found the ring. I did all that. And we got engaged on September 12th. Yeah. So this is all the same year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Meeting, dating, engaged September 12th. But we had, um, and then just to finish the story, we got married December 4th. We would have been married in October if the room would have been available at church. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But here, here's, 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 what, here's what I want to talk about real quick. We had a moment, what, what you, sacred confession, well, we were, is yeah, that what Yeah, we were you? going through this book. Honestly, it was, the book kind of helped us. Um, so all of my life, I had felt that if I ever opened up with somebody, like, I didn't share this part, but my dad had walked in with me and a boyfriend in my room when I was 16 and caught us. And one week later, he almost died in a hospital from, like, complete organ shutdown. And they said it could have been like stress could have brought that on. So I always felt like, well, if you just want to add a you know a log on the fire, I you know I almost took my dad out <laughs> because of how naughty I was, how broken I was. You know, it was real, guys. Like I had I went through a lot. I put my parents through a lot. They were so full of grace through that. But where was I going with that? Moment of sacred confession. Oh, the moment of sacred confession. If you can imagine. I have been reclaimed by Jesus. I have this beautiful community. I know my purpose that I'm here on this earth for is to work in the generations, restore women in their identity to Christ. Like literally like with every pit, every bit of my being, every pit inside of me, I just want to let people know that there's hope. So like with everything inside of me, that's what I know that my life is going to be served doing. Yes, I went to school to be a nurse. I'm good at it. I want to help people live, but I really want to help people live, like really live. That's my call. That's where it's at. And so I was like, well, I know I'm good with Father. I know I'm good with Jesus, Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm good. But this man deserves, because he's so amazing, he deserves to know Right? Because that's not who I was anymore. I had spent three years of singleness. I had been so intentional to get in the word, to be washed by the word. Jesus says that I have come to wash you by the word. So I had been washed. I had been renewed. I knew how I was. I didn't need a man. I wanted to be single. I wanted to live the Paul life. I literally, like, guys would ask me out to coffee. I'm like, no, but Jesus loves you. And I'll go to college ministry with you, and I'll go kayaking with you with a group, but as a friend. And I just didn't want that, right? I just wanted to know that I knew that I knew that I know that I did not need to be intimate with a man anymore because I was intimate with Jesus. I was devoted to him. I had betrayed myself all of those years. But I was now intimate with Jesus. Some people are like, Rachel, why are you so joyful? And I say, it's the Holy Spirit. And I mean it. I mean it because I had to let him all the way in, guys. There was so much. He cleaned all the way down to my pinky toe. Except for that word that's still there. We're working on that. But... (laughs) But I had to let him so far in that I know him that well. And I know that there's nothing that he can't free you from. So I needed the last little strand, the last shackle that the enemy would say is, I never deserved to have a man of God 
as a husband. I knew that was a lie, right? But I mean, you don't know that you know that it's a lie until you've seen the fruit. And so this man deserved to know who I was before Christ so that I knew that he would choose me because I wanted to share who I was before Christ for the rest of my life. Because it, my testimony is my story of the goodness of God and the power of Jesus. And I needed a man who would be able to be strong and support me in that. So I remember uh, it was a night. I lived with four other guys, mm-hmm. um, me and four other guys. We lived together in a house. Actually, it was a house I grew up in. So we lived together there. I remember Ra- Rachel and I were over there, and we made our way kind of out into the backyard, and basically we just started sharing, not in super deep details, but we let each other know everything, mm-hmm. like everything about us. Um, and I'll say this to couples when I'm walking them through uh, like pre-wedding, if they're getting married, um, and I get the opportunity to perform the wedding Um, I'll tell them, you have to take a moment and share everything. Mm -hmm. Because if you share it before the wedding day, you always have the reassurance that even though they know, Mm -hmm. they still chose me. But if you wait till after the wedding day, you always have the battle of, well, if they did know, would they still have? So that's a little bit for you guys. uh, If you're dating or engaged, um, take a minute. But but there's caution there there is there is caution there because the caution is this you got to find someone that really loves Jesus if you want them to be Jesus uh, reflect Jesus to you um, and this was a moment like we I remember we sat down we put a blanket out and just kind of laid on our uh, face down on our elbows next to each other mm-hmm. and just kind of talked through yeah it was a long talk it was a summer night we had boundaries where we would never be in a house alone. So we were either at my house with my parents, his house with his roommates. If they ever left, we were in the backyard. But they had to be home. We couldn't, like, be, you know, they had to be around. We couldn't just be in a vacant backyard because, yeah. Um, So we had some pretty strict boundaries. We didn't kiss. Well, we did kiss one time a week before our wedding. But we had. (laughs) That's why we got married so quick, y'all. We're really truthful. Just being real. We almost made it. But, oh, gosh. One week before the wedding, yeah, we kissed. That's why you set boundaries so you don't go rolling off the hill. But anyhow, it was a good kiss, too. So anyways, so we went. It was a very long talk. Like, it was tears. Like, there was snot. It was, like, 1 a.m. I was a nurse. I had to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to go to work the next day. I remember driving home, and I said out loud, well, Jesus, that's done. And now it's in your hands. But I know that I know that I honored you tonight, that I honored me tonight, and that I stood strong because of who you are in me. And now it's in your hands, and I'm going to be okay, whatever this ends up. You know, however, you know, because it wasn't wasn't like instantly that he was like, oh, everything's great. We weren't engaged yet, but you know what I mean? Like, so what did you do the next day? So the next morning. I had um, to tell a lot. His story was a little shorter than mine. So (laughs) the next morning, I remember um, Patrick, who I mentioned before, the friend that I was like, hey, can I go to church with you after he'd asked three million times? Um, uh, His his uh, dad was going to be the 
the guy that performed the wedding for us. So I remember the next morning, every morning, I would get up and go over to her house. Um, she had to be to work at 5 a.m.? 6 a.m. 6 a.m. So I'd get over there about 5 a.m., and uh, we'd have breakfast together. And then, honestly, I'd hang out with my we now father-in-law. Yep. Rick Renner's book. We would do Bible devotions together yep. every morning. He would come before I'd go to work and then hang out with my dad for like an hour and a half. But then next morning, I remember I went over and uh, we had breakfast together. We did our normal routine. She took off to work. And I remember I just got in the car and drove. And when I got just north of Grand Rapids, I called uh, Mike Konechny, Patrick's dad, Pastor Mike. I remember calling him and I just kind of laid it all out. I'm just like, this is it. Um, and I remember coming to this moment where it's like, well, it's... This is kind of how I'd say it now. It's like, how can I choose to not forgive something that Jesus already forgave? You know, um, and it was this, and, and it was a, it was a process, but it was a, a beautiful walking through of showing honestly ultimate, ultimate love and ultimate grace. You know, and ultimate forgiveness. And um, obviously, we don't have. We're like running out of time. Jake, but uh, Jake said to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that look right there. No. Um, so, but, but what I want to say is this. It doesn't matter what your story has been. Yep. There's hope for you with whatever it is. Whether with my story, I mean, we say it's like not that big, but it's sin is sin, right? It's Rachel's story that's maybe a little bit more intense. There's still beauty that's ahead, right? Um, the verse that uh, Proverbs eight uh, twenty eight thirteen I think we have Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. Um, this is the verse that we really felt for today, and this applies in like when you're going into marriage, but it also applies in life because uh, the enemy wants us to live in secrecy. The First uh, Peter five eight says the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not like may mess with a little bit. No, he wants to devour you. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But when it says the, the devil goes around like a prowling lion, lions hunt by putting into isolation. Yeah. Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 28, 13. It's the tree slide. says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Can I just give like a quick challenge of do everything you can to live completely transparent and honest. When you make a mistake, admit it. And when you're walking in, like for us walking in, we just, we let it all out there. And it was this beautiful moment of receiving mercy. Yeah, it's so good. And so I think the biggest thing that we hope that you take away from this is that there's hope. Like, you can literally have one person have a, you know, very broken sexuality before coming together. Maybe one person's a bit more pure, though inwardly you can have a broken... Like, like Jake said, everybody has broken sexuality. We want to show you that there's hope. Like, but we also want to equip you with the hope because we now do marriage ministry instead of youth ministry. And we have people coming to us all the time with affairs now. And it's all rooted in sexual brokenness from earlier in life. It's all rooted in shame because they didn't know about these sacred confession times. And honestly, when I say sacred confession, why is that important? 
Jake mentioned last week that if the marriage, in a Christian marriage, if it isn't showing the world that there's something to want, we're not drawing anybody to us. Like God made Eve to complete love in Adam. He said it wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed someone to partner up with. But it's like, if you can't be sacred, if I couldn't have that talk with Tim, and honestly, like we've been married 12 and a half years, if we can't continue talks of what we're struggling with, we have an artificial marriage. We have an artificial marriage. This is supposed to be exactly what I can do with Jesus. Like, I'm supposed to be able to be as open. I'm supposed to be open. We're supposed to be open with Jesus. Like that moment when I was on the floor saying, who am I at? Who's ever going to want me? Like, you know that moment? If I can't have that with my husband, and you want that someday in your future, that's sacred. Like that's intimacy. That's into me, you see. And we want to equip you with that. So... On that last note, do we have time for five minutes of questions? Like if they had... Oh, yeah. Does anybody have questions about, like, anything? Anything? I know. Just ask the first question. Somebody be bold. I know we're talking about sex, sacred confession. (laughs) So anybody? Yes, Brian. (laughs) We've got... (laughs) So was the sacred confession like you two in private, like in a, in like the house or in like a backyard or like in the church? Like what did that look like setting wise for you guys? Oh yeah. It was in the backyard because roommate went out to work in the garage, Justin Binish. And so it was in his backyard on like a picnic blanket, summertime. Big thing about sacred confession. Once you, okay, first of all, sacred confession, not on date one, not on date two, three, four, five, six. Probably not. Okay? When, when you know. This is when you know. <laughs> Mutually, you've shown that there's excitement, interest. They're growing you towards the Lord. P- things around them are growing towards the Lord. Things are healthy. Um, there's resolve. There's good communication. That's when you know. That's when you have a sacred confession time. Otherwise, it forms a bond with you because after that, you're going to feel really close. It forms a bond, and your bodies are going to want to get really close. We always told our junior high, we got married in, like, two months because we wanted to have sex. Like, I don't know how we people date. We wouldn't say date. it quite like okay, we that didn't say to that like, high students. Well, Let's just be real. Like, I mean, okay, high we school, We were ready to be married. But we were ready to be married. But it does form a bond, and it will bring you. You will want to go closer physically after a conversation like that, especially, it doesn't matter if you're living for the Lord, you still want to do it. And so just be aware of that. Uh, maybe question. maybe one more question, if there's one more. If it's a quick one, maybe two. I don't know. In the back. Anybody in the back? No. <laughs> oh, crickets. Okay. Oh, yes. I guess my question is, Rachel, was it hard when you met Tim to kind of open yourself up after all of your sexual brokenness history, like be able to actually be yourself with him? That's a really good question. Okay. I didn't cover that. So I had three years of really healthy community in a college ministry and the brothers in Christ 
the guys renewed who men were who loved the Lord. So that shows the importance of like community because I didn't have any awkwardness. I was reclaimed, reset, re-understood that men could actually build me up, play, like, you know, like we played sports, we ran, we, you know, did tons of different things together, camped, you know, but all growing towards God and nothing physical. And so it made all of that very comfortable when I came to meet Tim? That's a really good question. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Um, I'm going to, if you have more questions, we can hang out for a few minutes afterwards. But there is one thing that I wanted to make sure that I offered up tonight. All of this that we've talked about isn't possible if you're not, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, um, that's the first and most important thing. When I talk when I talk about Jesus as Lord, I grew up thinking that Lord was just another name for God. When I came, I'd never heard the term Lord really before I came to church, and Lord was said all the time, so I was like, it's God. So it's like the name of God, but Lord isn't the name of God, it's the position of God. Lord is the same as King. So if you don't have Jesus as your King, this won't work. So I want to ask the question, do you have Jesus as your king? Have you asked him to forgive you of the mistakes that you've made? Romans 10, 9, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. So my question for you is, have you done that? Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord? I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. For privacy and uh, just respect, can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? I'm going to count to three, and if you'd say, today I want to make that decision. I've, I've been far away from God, and today I want to come close to God. When I count to three, if that's you, just raise your hand up and say, that's me. One, two, three. Raise up your hand if that's you. Yep, hands going up, hands going up. Come on, hands going up over here. Yep, come on. That's awesome, hand. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The prayer is just simply words coming out of your mouth saying that you believe Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again. Mm-hmm. So just repeat after me and say, Jesus, Jesus today, today I, choose I choose to believe, to believe that you died that you and that you rose again. Rose again. I, ask I ask for forgiveness, for forgiveness of, the of the mistakes I've made, and I choose, and I choose to have you be my Lord. Be my Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.